welcome back to the other episode of the It's Just Sport paper review podcast with hersport.ie. Don't forget to follow us on social, on Twitter, at hersport.ie, at joanneor underscore ox, and on Instagram, at hersport.ie, and at joanneor. It's obviously been just a bit of a crazy weekend, and I feel like we've done really well to get through January. And we're now in February, and for anyone who knows me, they will know I'm currently getting very excited because the month of February is the first time in 200 years we have a square in our calendar officially. So things like that can be very hyped. <laughs> <laughs> but all day Sunday, Neve, I don't know about you, all day Sunday, Neve, I felt I was going a bit crazy. I um, I started singing a lot of mass hymns. I don't really miss going to mass, I don't. Um, but I was just singing mass hymns. Neve, what, uh, how are you, Neve? What were you up to? <laughs> Well, I mean, it was a bit of a rainy weekend um, up in Dublin. I'm not sure about down your end of the country, but um, yeah, I mean, we were just counting down the hours to watch Ireland's fittest family, so that's a that's a guilty pleasure. Maybe not so guilty, um, but the the quarterfinals of Ireland's fittest family were on yesterday evening. So uh, one of the highlights of the weekend, while while we're still getting through this lockdown, but um, yeah, very excited to have our. Next episode of the paper review out, um, we're going to focus on international sport. So what have we got in store? Yeah, so it's been an incredibly busy uh, weekend of sport. We've had AFLW, we've had athletics, we've had NBA. And my favorite time of the year, guys, it's Super Bowl <laughs> week. Now you're thinking, this is a women in sports podcast. Why is she focusing on the Super Bowl? First of all, Super Bowl, very friendly to the women because... For the first time this weekend, we have got a female referee. So that's right. Sarah Thomas is going to be officiating in Tampa Bay at the Super Bowl this weekend. Thomas, who is a former college basketball player, actually began her officiating career in 1996 and worked on her first varsity high school game in 99. That's very American, like varsity high school. But she was the first woman <laughs> to officiate a major college football game, the first to officiate a bowl game. And then in 2015, Thomas was hired as the first full-time female official in NFL history. She will serve as the down judge as part of a seven-person on-field officiating team for the Super Bowl in Tampa Bay on the 7th of February. For anyone wondering what's a down judge, it's the person who stands at the side and declares whether a person's feet were inbounds when they picked up the ball. So it's actually, it's actually one of the harder jobs on the NFL pitch because your eyes have to be on the ball, on the feet, and you also have to make sure that they have control of the ball. Now, if anyone knows in the NFL, that is muddy water. So Sarah, best of luck if you are listening. We'll tag you on this on social. But uh, yeah, no, more power to her, I think. Yeah, it's exciting. I think we're seeing some big changes in the in the US at the moment in relation to coaching and refereeing. Um, there's definitely been a lot of opportunity presented in the last year or two, which is brilliant to see. Um, I guess that brings us on to basketball. We have some news in basketball as Natalie Sago and Jenna Schroeder are going to make up two-thirds of the crew assigned to the Charlotte at Orlando game. The first time in NBA history that two women have been assigned to work a regular season contest together. Sean Wright was picked to be crew chief, Sago the referee and Schroeder the umpire. So this is more opportunity um, and we're seeing more uh, women involved in refereeing. So we should have a look at the basketball this weekend. Um, I think you've uh, a little bit more basketball related news for us. The basketball related news. Yeah, that's true because I think we all know Chicago Bulls, Detroit Pistons, bad boys legend that is Dennis Rodman. If anyone has seen The Last Dance, they will know him maybe as Karen Electra's ex. They might know him as the crazy teammate for Michael Jordan, but he is an NBA legend and a Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame member. But it's not really about Dennis Rodman because over the last few weeks, um, the National Women's Soccer League, the NWSL, had their draft a couple of weeks ago 
and they actually drafted his daughter Trinity. So Trinity Rodman, she is a rising star in the U.S. soccer youth national teams, and she was selected number one by the Washington Spirit. She's actually only 18, so she's going pro directly uh, away from college. So that's actually very exciting uh, for her because it's quite rare that's done. But we're seeing it now more kind of with the global pandemic. But uh, yeah, Trinity Rodman is going to be uh, on the books. And actually, if anyone is interested, I know there was a really good piece on her um, on ESPN, I think. Um, our very own Sligo, Kathleen McNamee, actually wrote it. So if anyone is interested in figuring out uh, anything about Trinity Rodman, um, go on to that because it is a very good in-depth about how she came to to be the soccer player she is today. She doesn't like basketball. I saw on her Instagram stories. Funnily enough, she's not a basketball person. It's probably... I mean, these things happen. They happen. <laughs> yeah, I think, um, you know, when you're surrounded by it, I think you eventually either turn off or really turn on. But uh, Niamh, you know, we have been following the Irish abroad. Let's forget about the Americans for a second, because the Irish abroads have been absolutely on fire. You're here to tell us a little bit about the athletics, aren't you? Yeah, no, it's been an absolutely brilliant weekend for athletics. Uh, Nadia Power has, you know, jumped into 2021 just as as she left 2020, um, you know, blazing down the track. Um, She set a new national record, a national indoor record of 2.02.44, and took second place in the 800 meters in Vienna on Saturday. So this is just behind, uh, sorry, just ahead of um, Schieffer Butner's record, uh, previous record, which is 202.46, I believe. So very exciting for Nadia. She's just, she's on fire at the moment. Like last year was fantastic year for her. I know we spoke about it briefly in our in our first episode of um, the It's Just Sport podcast. So if anybody wants to learn a bit more about Nadia and athletics, uh, head over there. Um, but also Kieran Neville and Sarah Lavin also picked up PBs at the at the competition. So we'll be discussing a bit more about athletics later and the, the brilliant results that we've had um, this weekend. Yeah, so at the minute we're going to flick uh, over our attention to the AFLW season that's going on down in Australia. Maeve, I have no idea if you managed to get some time away from Fittest Families to tune in to the <laughs> West Coast Eagles versus Adelaide Crows. Uh, which was on TG Car, and that was brought to us by Jim Plus Coffee. Uh, so for anyone who's wondering, on the Eagles, uh, we had Ashley McCarthy of Tipperary, and we had the two Kelly sisters, Neve and Grace, from Mayo, and also for Adelaide, we had Ailish uh, Considine uh, from Clare. So the Adelaide Crows actually ran out comprehensive 56-18 to 18 winners over the Eagles, um, and Ailish actually scored a goal as part of their success. It was actually kind of funny because I think she scored towards the end of the fourth quarter, and like the way her teammates like surrounded her, it was like actually one of the hugest things on the planet. <laughs> but there was a bit of, I'm not going to say controversy, but there has been a bit of a negative lie, shall we say, on the AFLW at the minute. Um, so for anyone who doesn't know, Breed Stack, uh, former Cork uh, 10-time uh, ladies All-Ireland football uh, winner. Uh, so she's gone over to the to Sydney to play with them and Cora Staunton. And um she was involved in a bit of a collision uh, about two weeks ago during the uh, preseason mm-hmm. with a girl called Ebony Marinoff. Now, Ebony Marinoff uh, went in to breed stack, uh, some would say very heavily and against the rules. Some, obviously, if you're a Crows fan, you would say that she went in uh, legally and within the boundaries of the rules. Now, breed stack actually broke her neck. She was millimeters away from paralysis. Um, and I think for people who aren't really aware, she's currently over there at the minute with her husband and her young son, uh, Karak and Karak Og. 
So a very scary incident um, for her. But Ebony Marinoff was due to be cited by the uh, Rules Committee. Um, they went obviously forward as part of the Adelaide Crows and they appealed it. She was originally banned for a couple of weeks, uh, but the Adelaide Crows appealed it on the basis that they had secondary evidence. So a second camera angle, which showed the way that Ebony uh, came okay. in. She actually was an apparently a legal tackle. So they ruled for Ebony Marinoff. So she was ruled, uh, she was declared to play actually uh, for the Adelaide Crows. She was actually kind of in and out of play and it was really weird watching her because you kind of knew her from the controversy. And then when Breach Stack had released yeah. a really good article with the uh, Irish Examiner, if anyone hasn't seen it, it's unbelievable. She talks about being millimeters away from paralysis. She talks about basically waking up on the pitch and not being able to move her body for quite yeah, some time. Yeah. Um, the game was actually abandoned as a result. But she basically spoke about how no one contacted her when Ebony actually got off the... I'm not going to say get off the hook, because I think that's wrong on, on Ebony, but... Um, how she got off and she found out on the bottom of her TV screen and she burst into tears and I thought the weird thing about the whole thing is that uh, the AFLW they're in like a bubble at the minute so they all fly together yeah. come together that kind of thing and the weird thing was is that on the front of Breed Stack's flight going over to Perth to play the West Coast Eagles was Ebony Marinoff now Niamh I don't know about you but like you know we're not contact sports you know you played a little bit of Camogie but if someone came at you like that and broke your neck, I'm sure you wouldn't want to see them for quite some time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I, I know certainly like, look, I'm wishing, we're wishing Breed obviously the, the best recovery. Like it was amazing to see that she was actually up and walking around. Um, and I think kind of reassuring people that, um, you know, she she is recovering, but it's a very, a very scary incident. And, you know, she just moved over, like she's kind of uprooted her life, moved over to Australia to play. And they'd spent so much time in isolation and quarantining and everything. Um, and then, you know, the first game out really she she really, really hurt herself. So yeah, I'm not I'm not sure exactly. Like I'm I, I don't know what Breed's opinion on it, on on the tackle is, whether she felt that it was um, you know, a fair tackle or not, but obviously it was a very dangerous tackle and and something that, you know, could have been so, so detrimental and life changing for her. So she was very lucky. Um, that she actually is up walking around and stuff at the moment but um yeah it's very scary and, and, and we just felt for her um you know having just gone over couldn't believe it like literally couldn't leave it because we've been speaking to her before she went over and you know uh, hopefully we'll have her on for a takeover down the line now but we had thought that she was going to be able to give us all an insight into that Australian life and and, and into AFLW but um yeah just like the the way things changed for her um and, and now she's just recovering but um yeah, very scary, very scary incident. Yeah, it's actually nice that they um, that Sydney still actually have her involved, like in the team. Like she's in all the team photos. She does like quite a bit. Um, I know mm -hmm. she was joking in the in the article that she's got forty babysitters. Um, but I think even though she mightn't have been able to comment mm -hmm. on the yeah, she might have been able to comment on the tackle um itself. I think uh, yeah. an AFL uh, legend uh, whose name is beyond me at the minute, but a couple of the AFL legends, I think actually were on like TV and radio, like on the AFL, like news sites or whatever, saying that they felt the tackle was beyond. But again, I think it's very subjective. I think it depends. But I think where she got very yeah. upset was um, how once Ebony had got off with the ban, um, she felt the blame was turned on her. And especially the commentary that would have taken place on social media, the bits of 
Bree can't take care of herself, yeah. she shouldn't be on the pitch, you know, different things like that. If she doesn't know basically how to enter into attack and things like that. Look, I obviously don't know. I only know from talking to people, my brother plays it over in Sweden. And from what he basically says is that even if you know how to look after yourself, the way Ebony came in was so quick that you couldn't have possibly been able to like, yeah. contort your body in order to sort yourself out, if that makes sense. But look, again, it is subjective. It is completely open. But I think we do, I do agree with you. We wish Breed all the best. It's great that she's up walking and she's able to play with her, her son mm. and different things like that. Um, because I suppose at the end of the day, as passionate as all we are about sports, I think it really brought into consideration basically the fine margins that exist in sport. And I think that is important. But in other positive AFLW news, Ashling Sheridan of Cavan um, scored the first goal in the AFLW season, funnily enough, for Collingwood on Friday night. So uh, she was actually on the double, but Sarah Rowe of Mayo missed out through injury. So Sheridan had an opener to remember against Carlton, who actually were favourites before even a ball was kicked. And Ashling scored two goals and inspired her pie sides to a 33-27 win in front of a sellout crowd at um, Icon Park. Uh, Neve, I just want to ask you one question, which is, if you were watching the game and if anyone was watching the game, were you one jealous of the tens and the fitness and two, were you jealous that they could go to a game? <laughs> yeah, they're so lucky to be able to play at the moment and, and you know, from people that are able to play sport, but, but also to go out and enjoy sport and, and to be there in the crowd and, um, you know, being part of the atmosphere. It's it's something that I think is a bit unimaginable, unimaginable, unimaginable <laughs> um, for, for us at the moment, you know, um, like, for club level athletes at the moment, it's it's a matter of like months. Like we don't know if we're going to get to compete this year. And um, we're lucky that, um, you know, elite athletes are able to compete and 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 to continue pushing boundaries, which is brilliant and I think um important for people's careers and their development. But um yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy to think that people are able to do that on the other side of the world. And I know some other countries have really really gotten the cases down and have have been able to manage um getting back to some sense of normal life so yes incredibly jealous uh the weather here is a little bit dreary at the moment so a bit of sun <laughs> wouldn't wouldn't go miss at the moment but uh look uh we're just through january so we know that in, in a couple more months we'll be back out uh, enjoying some good weather hopefully but look we can still get out and about um running in the rain is not the worst thing wouldn't really recommend cycling at the moment um we took a few tumbles over the last <laughs> over the last uh, few months uh, in in bad weather and cycling so any novice cyclists yeah stay inside i think during this one <laughs> they go running instead but um yeah look we'll um carry on with how things how they are and we'll just admire the irish players from afar so i know you have some news on sinead goldrick as well it's brilliant to see that she's um she's over there as well there's so many irish uh, footballers over there playing and it's, it's great that they have such opportunity exactly I'll run through very quickly the rest of the scores so as we've said Dublin Sinead Goldrick was in action for Melbourne Demons as they defeated the Gold Coast Suns 56-35 um, Dublin's Sinead Goldrick had seven disposals and two marks during the game so I think she plays as a back so much different to the scoring um, people were obviously wondering where was uh, Neve McAvoy and Lauren McGee they did not feature because they are just out of uh, their 14-day mandatory hotel quarantine and they just came out last week, so fitness obviously a thing there. Aileen Gilroy helped the North Melbourne Kangaroos to an emphatic victory over the Geelong Cats in the opening round of this season's Women's Aussie Rules campaign. 
the Melbourne outfit scored 11 goals as they swept the Cats aside in a remarkable match, which finished 71-9. A bit of a hammering there. Orlo Dwyer, um, June mm-hmm. star for Tipperary, also enjoyed a winning start to the campaign as her Brisbane Lions proved too strong for Richmond at the Swinburne Centre. She started the game at left wing and added one behind in the 41-12 victory. Anya uh, Tiggs, Fremantle's, Fremantle's Dockers, they were too strong for Cora Staunton's great uh, Western Sydney Giants. They were obviously missing Bree Stack. She's recovering from her injury at the minute. So Tig, however, she didn't feature and is set for an extended spell on the sidelines as she is currently recovering from a knee injury. However, uh, Cora Staunton played at full forward. She was kept scoreless in the 58-28 defeat. There was no Irish involvement in St. Kilda's 51-42 win over the Western Bulldogs on Friday. And some news just coming in is the Adelaide uh, versus Fremantle and the great uh, Western Sydney versus West Coast Eagles game has been postponed due to COVID restrictions. So these are four games that were of interest to Irish fans. We obviously are awaiting the team's list to be released uh, so we know if there's any Irish involvement. But given how everything has been going, um, it seems there should be. So that's our uh, AFLW wrap-up. Um, if anyone is interested, it is on TG Cahar. Um, I think they are deferred games on a Saturday evening. And if anyone is interested in following it, it's AFLW Ireland um, on, on social media. So definitely get behind it. We are hoping to have AFLW Ireland President Michael Curran on soon to talk to us. And he'll basically give myself and me of a tutorial on um, basically how to watch the game. Because we're, we're yeah, yeah. going with the flow here. But we have a um, big, big weekend in athletics. And you have a very special mention that you want to give a shout out for here. We do. So obviously we know that the Hearst Board Awards, the uh, winners were announced over the weekend. So a uh, big special mention to Kim McGean on winning the Hearst Board Athlete of the Year. She had a fantastic 2020. Uh, really, really um, excited for her to, to get this award. Uh, you know, three national records, um, one indoor and two outdoor records in 2020. So it's brilliant. Delighted for her. So hopefully we'll be catching up with Kira later in the week uh, to talk about 2021 winning the award and what's in store for 2021 um i think at this point we should also mention um you know there's very sad news in in, in the last week at the death of gary kiernan so we're sending our condolences to his family when that was affected by the news um very very sudden i think for for most people um, and Jerry did coach Kira for uh, a number of years. So Kira actually raced last week, but was disappointed with her performance. And I, I think she mentioned, you know, that um, his death impacted her on the track more than she expected, you know. And um, she said she's not one to make excuses, but obviously this is something that was very shocking to her. And, and he was a very important figure for her in her athletics career. Um, so, yeah, we're looking forward to speaking to, to Kira later in the week. Um, you know, we, we'll try and keep the spirits up. Um, there's been some brilliant things in athletics at the moment. Um, so we'll just, you know, try and keep everybody a bit, bit more cheerful um, after this news. But um, Nadia Power, the 800 metre indoor record. So I guess we'll dive into that a little bit. Um, yeah. So that was at the Vienna International Meet. Um, we know that Nadia is looking towards Tokyo and hopefully to qualify Um and I think that she's gotten faster and faster. And, you know, she's actually racing this weekend again. Uh, I think it's in Paris. Sorry, not Paris, in France. Is it in Paris? It's in France. I don't, I, I, I cannot declare that it's in Paris. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, she's, she's in action. She's in action again this weekend, which is really exciting because, you know, 
She's just had such a such a great year last year, and uh, she actually knocked off over three seconds off her PB to run that two hundred two forty four. So that's a substantial amount of time over such a short distance. So it's brilliant to see her, uh, you know, really getting into her stride and, and gaining success. So, um, yeah, she for Carrie Butner's record was set in twenty eighteen. So she got in there with point zero two and 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 just picked um, Shifra. Um, it's great to see there's such talent at the moment in the in the middle distance um, category because Shifra is there. You have Kira, you have Claire Mooney. Um, you know, there's there's lots of athletes that are up there in those two 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 three two four times. I'm um, kind of indoors. Um, and then and then you kind of look at outdoors and compare as well. I know obviously the the indoor versus outdoor times are slightly different, but I know we have Alana Lally on doing a takeover tomorrow actually, and she has I think a, a two hundred four for outdoors. So look, there are some girls that are coming very fast. They're all putting in the work uh, to try and push 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 the boundaries in Ireland, but also push each other on. I think it's great when you have so many people um you know really striving for more, and it just makes everybody get faster. So it's really exciting to see. Um, then we had Sarah Lavin. So Sarah ran a personal best of 8.24 and she came fourth in the 60 hurdles. This is the first race for her of 2021 and she also has her sights set on qualifying for Tokyo. Uh, she's experienced a few injuries, I believe, um, a couple of years ago. So it's really great to see her in action. Like She's somebody I think that works hard at um, looking after herself and, and kind of the conditioning to make sure that she is you know, at, at peak performance and she did really well. Like she did well at nationals as well. Um, you know, in, in the sprint distances, uh, which was, which is brilliant. So she will actually be racing this Wednesday at the World Indoor Series Silver Meet. Um, and then we had Kira Neville. So we have two Limerick girls in action. Um, so Kira got another personal best. Um, she ran 7.30 in the 60 metres. She... Um, has been really, really strong. I think the last couple of years. Um, and she actually did a, a takeover recently in her sports. So if anybody wants to get to know her a little bit better, over and check it out. Um, just the 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 talent that's there in the in the sprinting um disciplines in Ireland has really improved. I think in the last few years, again, lots of young athletes coming up and pushing each other on. So, um, yeah, it's great to have some racing. I think we're all we're all glad to see that some people are getting the opportunities to race and. While, uh, again, you know, club athletes might be just sitting at home, at least there are, is content that we can consume and we can support the athletes. I know it's not domestic racing at the moment, but we can we can support people from from home and, you know, catch some of the action on, you know, video. And, uh, you know, it might be live, but you'll definitely get some of the clips uh, on the internet. Somewhere. Yeah. And I mean, I know like one of the talking points as well over the weekend was how Irish Athletic cancelled their indoor meets. Uh, I think it was for February was when they were going on. Um, so as you were saying, even though at the minute it's a bit of a disadvantage for the for the club and the local people who are kind of sitting here, it's great that these girls, as we were kind of saying, discussing last week with or two weeks ago with Nadia, um, it's great to see these girls taking the risk and actually benefiting, learning, and I suppose growing from it more so importantly. I remember, was it the last, like pre-COVID, the last um, Athletic Champions, um, I was doing an event with Alicia McSweeney because she works at Pep Talk as well. Um, and maybe she was even saying herself, like, this is as competitive of a group of uh, women as you'll possibly get, um, probably, like, for quite some time. Like, you know, she was like, oh, there's been, like, one or two who've been kind of running out in, for or running out in front and just kind of dominated races. But now 
you've just got such a mix where it's actually hard to judge. And as we were saying about Nadia and even like Sarah Lavin and, and all these girls, like they necessarily might have been ready for the 2020 Tokyo Olympics, but you can guarantee with the times and the races that they're putting in at the minute, they're ready for 2021 Tokyo. Whether they'll get there or not is another story, but at least now they have the capabilities they have the race experience, which I think is super, super important. Um, and they basically have the stuff that maybe the local athletes here might necessarily have that hopefully wouldn't put them back. I'm going to say yeah. too much, um, but I think it is super, super important. Um, and as you were saying, one, it's great for them, but two, it's great for us because it gives us a good bit of content. Um, but I think overall, it's nice to have someone abroad that we can root for. Um, and that we can definitely get behind. Yeah. I think Nadia, Sarah, um, and Kira, they're definitely three girls that we could definitely go for. And as you said, if you would want to know more about them, uh, check out her sports Instagram and um, check out the takeover that they took because they are very personal. They are very fun, like all of them. Um, like, yeah, there's like good people ask... People ask lots of different questions and, and got to get to learn a lot about them. So the athletes have been great at kind of sharing insights and sharing what life has been like through COVID and, you know, what training is like. And um, yeah, just... There's, there's so many we've learned so much about um you know the evolution of people's careers you know uh, whether they started at six years old running or 16 so um you know amy o'donoghue would say that she started at athletics kind of late she was in irish dancing before and you know she came away with a 1500 meter national title this year so um they're definitely inspiring people along the way and it's brilliant to be able to have the platform to share their stories but I think um, I was actually speaking to Amy last week and she's hoping, I think, to get some racing abroad. Um, it's just so hard to know at the moment because they're after cancelling an outdoor meet in June in the UK. So it's it's uh, it's difficult to know what the situation is going to be as we go, as we go forward. Um, but I think Nadia has actually been abroad and she's not returning to Ireland so that she, continue, she can continue to attend yeah. some of these meets um, within... Uh, all the countries, because I know it's, it's very difficult for people to, um, you know, make that decision. Like she's she's not returning until um, all the races. I, I don't I don't think there's necessarily a date on it at the moment. It's just kind of play it by year and get the training done and keep doing as best she can. But um, that's, I guess, the domestic news that we have. We'll be catching up with some of those girls soon uh, to chat about it, chat about their experiences. But we have a few more interesting stories. Um, let me see, which will we go to first? I guess we'll go to the Barcelona and Real Madrid protest. I know you're a, a big a big soccer fan we have here. Uh, so you're really going to test my, uh, test, see, I went full Irish there. Uh, you're going to test my uh, Spanish skills now, aren't you? Yeah, so you're right. So Barcelona, Real Madrid, I think some of the Atletico Madrid girls were involved in it as well. So El Clasico Femini was uh, occurring just there over the weekend. Barcelona playing Real Madrid. This is Real Madrid's second year as part of uh, La Liga Iber Iberdola. So just for a little bit of context, in case people aren't sure, just because I love talking Spanish football, it's like my favorite thing to do. Um, so <laughs> the La Liga Iberdola and um, all the women's games are currently under the Federation. So that's RSEF. You may have seen the reference a couple of times on Twitter. So the uh, RSEF Federation is separate to La Liga men's. So what Lionel Messi, Barcelona and, uh, you know, Karim Benzema and all of them play for Real Madrid, that is a separate entity in itself. So the RSEF is currently under the government's protocols for COVID-19, which are different again to La Liga, 
who are under their own thing. Now, La Liga are fortunate that the owner or the leader, the president, sorry, of La Liga, Javier uh, Tebas, his brother, funnily enough, is actually making the vaccine over in UPenn uh, for COVID-19. So okay. just a random fun fact there. So when uh, all these games are being cancelled, so I think it was four Barcelona games that were cancelled. So Barcelona went down to Madrid uh, about three weeks ago, I think the mad snow was down in Madrid. And they basically, not to be dramatic when I say this, they risked COVID lives, sure, but they also risked their own lives in terms of going down in snow and having to wait there for three days in order to see was a game going to be played. The team that they were playing, uh, it was a cup game, so they were a bit lower down. I think they were a semi-pro team, I'm going to say, more than anything else. They basically uh, couldn't play because they had no team. Barcelona went up to the Basque Country to play again. They had no team to play. Real Madrid were in the same position. So there was no team for either of them to play for the last four weeks. So there are now three games uh, in hand in order to get there. So at the exact same time on Saturday, all the players from Barcelona and Real Madrid released a statement uh, basically demanding that the RSES, so that's the federation, come together, demand better COVID-19 protocols. So what they want is a joint uh, way for the COVID-19 to be uh, restricted. They want the teams who have, I think, is it 14, you're allowed, even with positive tests. So if you can put forward 14 players, that's uh, grand enough for a team in La Liga, but not so much for the RSEF. So they're basically asking for those protocols to be implemented. They're asking for um, basically better testing. They're asking for the other teams to restrict their movements a bit better. I think it is a bit tricky because a couple of them are working in the real world. You know, not a lot of them are on the same pay grade as Barcelona or Real Madrid. They don't have that financial power behind them. So it is difficult at the minute. But one thing at the end of their statement, which I thought was quite powerful, because in Spain, uh, things have to get a bit dramatic kind of towards the end of any statement. So you always find there will be like a grand statement of some sort. Um, which some would be like, you know, Catalonia forever. Some would be a la Madrid, like all hail Madrid, different things like that. Um, but this time they wrote, uh, we want better. We want football. We want women's football. So the idea is that they're not resting unless they get women's football. Uh, they also stood motionless for a few seconds after kickoff in protest. Um, and yeah, they basically want to get their point across to the RFEF. This is the second time I should highlight that they have been in uh, negotiations with the RFEF. They had a very infamous collective bargaining agreement uh, just before COVID where the players actually refused to kick off the season because they felt they weren't getting their fair share of pay off of the RFEF and they felt that the conditions weren't as good as what they should have been. So it's, it's a fraught relationship. It's intense. Barcelona are top of the league. They actually won 4-1. They're top of the league. Real Madrid are in second. But they are uh, three games behind the rest of them. Atletico Madrid, um, Leganes, Atletico Bilbao, and all the other teams who would be in general competing with them. Um, I suppose the main concern for Barcelona, they have Champions League. They have Cup. Oh, no, they don't have Cup. Sorry, they were knocked out. So they have Champions League. They want to get these games played ASAP so they can focus on their Champions League. It will be interesting to see what the RFEF will uh, come out and say, or as they call it in Spanish, the RFAAFA. Um, you know, that's my Spanish there mm-hmm. for you. So, um, yeah, it'll be interesting. It'll be curious to see what will happen. Um, given how slow the RFEF are in terms of changing, I can't see any movement anytime soon, but you never know, maybe with COVID and different things like that. But I think it's a lot to look out for, um, and it is uh, of, of interest. But, uh, Liev, I know there is something you are passionate enough to talk about. You want to bring in 
Joe Biden, um, president-elect, into the conversation? Yeah, I think there's, look, there's a lot going on in the world right now. And I think something we can't ignore uh, is, is the statement that Biden put out this week. So um, Fox News and the New York Times are saying that Biden's political correctness could threaten women's sport. Um, he has unconditionally across the board supports LGBTQ inclusiveness from the military to athletics. So this is something that has uh, really caught the attention of a lot of people over in the US. And it's obviously a, a, a topic that the world are together trying to figure out, you know, um, everybody wants to see uh, anyone that wants to participate in sport, able to participate in sport, but obviously it's uh, a, a bit difficult to figure out what the best way forward is for all the athletes, whether it's, um, you know, male athletes, female athletes, whether they were born or whether they have transitioned. It's, it's something that is just going to take a little bit of time um, to, to get through and to find the fairest way for everybody that's been involved. Um, so Joanna Harper, I thought this was interesting. She's a medical physicist who is a transgender runner herself. She told the Associated Press in 2019 that the gender identity doesn't matter. It's the testosterone levels. Trans girls should have the right to compete in sports, but cisgender girls should have the right to compete and succeed too. How do you balance that? That's the question. So I thought that was really interesting that she came out and said that, you know, she obviously has the knowledge and the understanding of the medical background of it to understand, but she also has her personal experience in that she wants to compete in sports as well. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, look, it's just something that I think is quite difficult. Um, I know we saw in earlier in 2020, in October, World Rugby uh, concluded that safety and fairness cannot presently be assured for women competing against trans women in contact rugby. So they made the decision that at international level, uh, trans women wouldn't be allowed to compete. So we look at a bit of the statistics in relation to this. So the research that they conducted said that there is at least a 20 to 30% greater risk of injury risk factors when a female player is tackled by someone who has gone through male puberty. It is known that biological males whose puberty and development is influenced by androgens, I hope I said that right, testosterone, yeah. are stronger by 25 to 50%, are 30% more powerful, 40% heavier, and about 15% faster than biological females. Trans men are permitted to participate in men's contact rugby, but I think the grayer area is trans women. Um, I think people are very fearful in some of the contact sports about the injuries that could happen. Um, and, and, and everybody's really just looking out for the safety. Um, and then you go and look at some of the other sports where it may be power-based or speed and the testosterone benefits that people experience as they grow up. Um, and I think it's at elite level, it, it's going to be figured out, I feel, sooner at elite level than it is at club level, but you also have to start thinking about it. And I think different countries are starting to try and figure out like how they're going to accommodate everybody. And it is important that there is a place for everybody to play sport. But I know there's been, um, I think we hear maybe about it a little bit more uh, stories coming from, from the US um, where, uh, you know, records are being broken. Or I think in basketball, there's been a couple of stories where um, people that identify as women are playing basketball and it's just very difficult for the girls that are born female. So it's it's a gray area. Um, 
I think in, in relation to the rugby, I have another piece on it here. It says, as a result, the new guidelines do not recommend that trans women play women's contact rugby on safety grounds at the international level of game where size, strength, power and speed are crucial for both risk and performance, but do not preclude national unions from flexibility in their application of the guidelines at the domestic community level of the game. And there's one more interesting piece here, actually. Let me find it. Uh, hmm. I was going to say, oh. Neve, like while you're while a, you're looking for while you're looking for that, I can remember. Um, and the only reason I remember this is because I did an article about it um, when Castro Semenya that uh, all the stuff came out about her. But there is a Finnish endurance uh, skier, Eero Antero uh, Mantaranta. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. I'm not Finnish at all. Um, but she basically has a condition which causes high hemoglobin and increased oxygen capacity due to an inherited mutation in one of her uh, genes. So it's basically a similar enough thing that you would see in a trans athlete. Now, she's actually allowed to ski properly um, in among um, in among her kind of grouping um, and different things like that. And people have complained about her. I know it's kind of two a little bit kind of different things, but a lot of the circumstances, you know, you need obviously a lot of oxygen capacity to be a, an endurance skier. And a lot of the girls actually wanted to rule her out because they felt she was already at a biological unfair advantage. And I think that's something that I saw kind of a similar thing kind of with Castor kind of more so um, was just the level of, as you were, we were kind of saying off air, because it's natural, I think it's harder to even regulate against as well. Like it's not something mm-hmm. that, you know, you can possibly kind of dive into and be like, oh, do this, do that. Because at the end of the day, um, you know, as, as Castor would have said, herself, there are, in that way. there are, and there are human rights, right? Like they have the right to privacy and they have the right to equal autonomy over their body, which is something as well, that's a bit tricky in order to navigate. So like, I suppose, when do you divide in terms of a working environment and a global environment? When does that divide break down your right to privacy? Is it when you step foot on a track? Is it when you step foot into employment? Um, is it when you do all these things? So I think these are some questions I think that unfortunately sport can't necessarily answer because I think sport as an entity isn't big enough to rule overall kind of on all that kind of sort of thing. Um, But I think it is definitely tricky. I think it's something that they will find very hard to navigate because either way, one side of the argument is going to be left fierce angry and fierce letdown and fierce up against it, you know, for the runners who naturally don't yeah. have this competitive advantage, the like, you know, are you going to settle for second place all the time? Do you work harder, potentially bust a gut and ruin your life and your body in order to achieve first for what, like a, you know, moment of happiness? Like, I'm not really too sure. You know, it, it's very tricky. And then on the flip side, if you're a caster and if you're some of these trans women, are you going to put yourself into such a poor mental state and be open to these abrasive and aggressive uh, kinds of uh, natural testing um, just in order to win a medal. It's the same argument, you know, just on the flip side. It's so hard to see where this could possibly be, um, where the line could be drawn if that is the case. Yeah, I think, look, I, th- I think the situation in relation to Castro Semenya and other athletes that have similar experiences with her is, is different because they have been born that way and I absolutely sympathize with transgender athletes and I believe there is a place for them in sport it's just a matter of figuring out how it's going to be fair on everybody you know and I, and I think the fact that a medical professional came out and, and she expresses her understanding in the situation and can 
see the the difficulties on both sides but there's a the piece that i was looking for earlier actually here is a groundbreaking new study on transgender athletes has found trans women retain a 12 percent advantage in running tests even after taking hormones for two years to suppress their testosterone so i know what they're trying to do is evaluate like when is it fair for trans athletes to compete in these in these uh competitions so it's saying that this uh, indicates the current IOC guidelines may give trans women an unfair competitive advantage over biological women. So it's about kind of evaluating, like, is there going to be uh, a time where somebody, where somebody has been taking um, testosterone suppressants for long enough that they can then fairly compete against biological women? I don't know. I don't have enough of a scientific background at all uh, to know this, but maybe that is something that is possible down the line. Um, or is there going to be enough competition for people that want to play sport and are trans athletes to compete against each other? I don't know. I, I, I think at the moment that piece is too hard because people's interests are in so many different sports. So the fact that they're a minority is harder to pull together enough competition and because people are going to be based in different parts of the world and all this, like that it's, going to be very difficult to um, organize competition from that respect. And then I think the real difficulty is going to be elite competition. Um, I think, to be honest, um, trans women won't be allowed to compete in international competition. Um, that would be my, my gut feeling at the moment, unless the science can get it to a, a level playing field, we'll call it. Um, I think at club level and in school, like I know people are trying to support people that are going through transitioning and trying to support obviously the people that are uh, participating in school sport and club sport. I, I feel like there might be a bit more leniency there. Um, when people are not, when people are playing for fun and, you know, kind of just growing up participating in sport, I think there might be a bit more room to have um, trans athletes compete in that space. I think there's going to be a really big learning curve. And I know there has been pushback in the US from the pieces that I mentioned earlier in relation to basketball, in relation to athletics, because you're seeing records being smashed. And like that's that's yeah. essentially what it is. So if there's if there's no if there's no regulation on um when uh what what period or how long they have to be on um testosterone suppressants, um if that's not outlined all of these uh, competitions and records and everything are going to be broken by trans athletes, which then makes it very demotivating for your biological women. Um, but I, I think it's very difficult. I do not envy the people that have to figure all this kind of thing out. Uh, there's 17 I states, I believe, in the US. I was going to say, can I just throw a minor banner in the works here? Because you're going to be yeah, like, why, yeah. didn't you, why didn't you put this in the dev notes? Um, but it just only dawned on me. Because <laughs> That's okay. Over the weekend, uh, New York Liberty uh, point guard, Alicia Clarendon, she's transgender and non-binary. And she announced over the weekend that they had just removed her breast tissue. She's got pictures up if anyone is interested in looking on uh, Twitter, on her social. Um, so she's actually one of the most out uh, trans and non-binary uh, players that are in the WNBA kind of at the minute. I think she is on their WNBPA. That's very hard to say. Their Players Association um, at the minute. And I think she is kind of of the opposite agreement, you know. Um, 
you know, she has generally been open about her about their identity, but felt um that mm-hmm. she was going to open herself out, open herself out to hate, myth, and uh, ignorance. But she decided to share the photo because she wanted trans people to know and see uh, that we've always always existed, and no one can erase us. And funnily enough, the league, the players' union, and the Liberty released statements each offering support to Alicia on uh, their story. So Alicia's story is one of inspiration and courage. And as a takeaway from the emotional conversation that we have shared recently, my hope is that the WNBA's full support will extend far beyond the league. And that was Commissioner Cathy Engelbert who had said that. Um, and then the WNBA obviously put out a similar enough statement that she's a great ad- or they're a great advocate um, and different things like that. Um, so even though a lot of athletes might necessarily be kind of pro it um, and pro trans, non-binary, non-cis athletes um, competing. Um, you know, Leisha is, is at the top of her game at the minute. She's an eight-year veteran. She averaged a career best of 11.5 points for New York last season. Um, and they want you to know, Leisha wants you to know that they identify as black, gay, female, non-cis and uh, Christian. Um, and that was in a long Instagram post that she had posted in December. So uh, they're the first um, athlete that I would know who's, uh, let's call it, out-out in terms of their trends and their journey um, at the minute. Um, And it seems to be going well for them. But we haven't seen any reaction from the rest of the league as is. But from what I know, all the Mm -hmm. players are very supportive of uh, Alicia and their journey. So it's, it's a tricky one, for sure. Is basketball one of those sports where... Look, I suppose there is an advantage. I mean, you think testosterone, you think slam dunks, you think bodies hitting off each other and different things like that. So far for Leisha, it doesn't seem to be an issue. Explain to me, sir. I may have missed this at the start. Um, is she transitioning to be male or she's transitioning to be female? Uh, non-binary. So it's they. Okay, okay, I understand. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, that's uh, so, a whole that's that's a whole kind of yeah. Leisha. Sorry, I knew I knew you mentioned that I uh, she'd removed the sorry they had removed uh, the breast tissues. That that's the piece that kind of caught me there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, um, so Leisha, yeah, so was a woman now non-binary, um, so has no okay. ID kind of that way. Um, I would say maybe from a pure and again this is speaking pure non-medical science opinion here. I would assume that identifying as trans and non-binary, I don't think you're getting as much testosterone as what a normal trans yeah. uh, athlete kind of would be one thing. But that's one athlete who I would know publicly, publicly not personally, but I would just know them to see on the TV. Um, they're someone who is, I suppose, thriving at the minute under their um, mm-hmm. discovery to who they are, being more so than anything else. Um, yeah. another, another thing as well, while we're on it, is I was reading the IOC's testosterone policy. Not that I know anything that I'm talking about here. But their IOC policy indicates that 99% of women at the minute racing have testosterone levels less than three nanomoles per litre. They want to reduce the current qualifying level from 10 nanomoles per litre to five. Um, and Ross Tucker, who gave evidence for Castor, Semenya and other born with high t- testosterone levels are trans athletes who are transitioning with uh, high testosterone levels. Apparently, if they were to run an 800 meters with suppressed testosterone levels, so that's going from 10 nanomoles per liter to five nanomoles, 
it could shave an 800 meter time by between five and seven seconds. So that's the evidence Ross Tucker put forward. Yeah, yeah I think other arguments that I've heard in relation to this are the fact that you know an amount of work can be done um, before before transitioning and, and what they say about it is like a lot of the athletes and, and a lot of people that transition don't really do it until they're in their teen years or have, have gone through puberty and I think that's mm-hmm. part of the um, difficulty in, in navigating the landscape. I think it's a bit easier maybe to um, manage the situation if it's if it's an athlete that has not gone through puberty because they haven't had the physical benefits of the testosterone um, from somebody that's that's born male. So I think that's where the most difficulty lies. And again, if they can manage to either get it to a level that's fair for everybody um, or come up with an alternative solution so that everybody can compete in a fair manner. Um, Again, I do see it being quite a challenge in elite sport. I think because there's money involved in it, because it is world records, national records, um, and that's the your top level sport. I see that being the most challenging thing. I know you mentioned employment and other aspects earlier. I think I think people have their privacy there, and and I think that you know lots of people are able to kind of lead their lives pri- privately in that respect and and in other aspects of life. But I think when it comes down to head-to-head racing or competing um you know whether it's tackling and that I think um it's the games are based on you know kind of fairness opportunity for everybody um and and it's just about making sure that everybody's getting the same chance really you know um I know with Castor like she's unfortunately the for her like there's there's been so much attention so much difficulty with with her life like everybody has invaded her privacy and mm. it's been so difficult for her over the the last number of years to try and be you know competing to competing at, at the top level and you know this is something that she couldn't control you know and um, yeah. she simply was born this way and and you know to have everybody talking about her and trying to figure out what the fairest thing is um you know it's it's very challenging but i i think really when it comes down to sport um I think all sports it's it's a it's a physical game you know you're asking your body to perform and it's the it's it's the measurement so that's I think where unfortunately trans athletes are going to be evaluated um and I and I think you if 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 you're happy not um you know being an elite athlete and you can can let that go as a trans person I mean, you'd probably be happier to be able to just close the door on sport, but that's not for everybody. Um, I mean, look, somebody else that you that I that I can think of um, is Caitlyn Jenner. You know, Caitlyn competed as Bruce, won the gold medal. I'm um, in the heptathlon, decathlon, decathlon, decathlon 10, yeah, ten for ten for men. Yeah, so like won the gold medal. Um, you know, had a career, an athletic career as a man, and then transitioned much much later in life and again that's not something that that everybody can do and I know uh Caitlin has spoken about um you know wanting to transition much earlier and I know that there's a, a lot more acceptance I feel now than there was when Caitlin was going through that um you know a number of decades ago really you know and, and a lot of things have changed like we know we, we watch things change all the time um 
it would be really interesting, like so interesting to speak to Caitlin and, and, and ask, like, would you have foregone your athletic career to achieve your dream and to be um, a trans woman? Like, would, would, would she have let that go, you know? And, and I think it's very difficult for people to make that decision. Um, and, and I know you mentioned like before about like the mental health aspects of it and people's happiness. You know, if somebody is a man or a woman and sorry, is born a man or a woman and feels they should be the other gender, it's it's very difficult for someone to um, you know, go through that and and kind of feel like they're living in the wrong body. Um, when it comes down to sport, like a sport, is it worth it? I don't know. Like I like I love sport. Um but when it comes to like your personal happiness in relation to who you are, I would guess it is higher on the agenda than than sport. Um, but again, I can't I can't say it's not something that'd be very difficult to talk of. Um, we must seek Caitlin and see if Caitlin will speak to us about this topic just to get a perspective, you know, and to really like someone that was top of the world in their sport, could they have let that go or? How would she see the landscape for everybody now? How does she see the fair way for people to compete? Because, and uh, you know, maybe it is much, much different because uh, she obviously lived a life as a man for such a long time and um, went through uh, her transition much, much later, but she was born a certain height, went through the testosterone, like was you know, physically trained as a man. Um, and I, I think it takes quite some time for those benefits to um, kind of reduce back to a fair level, maybe for for biological women. But yeah, I don't know, have you any other thoughts or, or opinions on it? It's, it's... That's what I was say, like in terms of actual transitioning, like, you know, I'm sure, like, you know, I was literally just reading here about Bill Caster and I suppose people who are transitioning and what testosterone levels do they possibly have? And if so, can you measure it and what? So, so apparently women like cast or caster who are naturally uh, high levels of testosterone, um, some of them can be as high as 25 um, nanomoles per liter. Um, and we were just saying earlier about getting that down to, first of all, it was getting down to 10 and now it's getting down to five. Mm-hmm. I don't know how long that takes to do it safely. I don't know what to do in order to get that done safely. I don't know if you do that safely and what the after effects are in terms of uh, your body and how your body functions after, say, sport um, is gone. Um, you know, I remember there was an incredibly, I think it was borderline transphobic, the crowd who wrote it, um, but it got into the British Journal of uh, Sports Medicine in 2017. So they actually claim that uh, Caster can outperform her opponents by uh, 3%. Um, but uh, I think between 32% of that data was actually flawed. Um, that's what I meant by apparently the crowd who mm-hmm. wrote it weren't very, um, they had a set agenda in terms of proving she's not good for the sport. Um, and I don't think in situations like that, you can go in under the assumption that X or Y is bad for sport X or Y. I think if you are to go into one of these conversations, you do have to go in with a bit of an open mind. Hopefully we have done that in some shape or form, but you have to go in in terms of uh, knowing what the results will be on either side. And I think that's where things can get a bit tricky. So are you willing in terms of full inclusivity, are you going to diminish maybe certain competitions 
in order to get full inclusivity? Um, or are you going to disregard inclusivity as a word um, and everything that it stands for? And are you just going to run an event solely based on uh, people who are effectively the same and who have the same levels of uh, testosterone um, and things like that. I didn't realize that even before Castor that there had been four intersex athletes who gave up their gonads uh, in order to be regarded as eligible to compete in their sport. So people mm-hmm. have gone quite far in the past in terms of um, uh, basically doing stuff to their body that necessarily a normal person might need to do every 